Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What is up, Gypsy Gang? Today we have a pretty cool edition of the podcast. Uh, it is with a now good friend of mine, David Hudson, Uh David Hudson is an Aboriginal artist and musician uh, who doesn't just play Aboriginal instruments like the didgeridoo. Uh, he's a, a multi-instrumentalist, plays guitar, plays drums, percussion, and he's traveled all over the world. He's performed all over the world, and he's from my hometown. I didn't know before I did the podcast, but he actually grew up racing uh, motocross with my dad. Uh, we recorded this podcast on his balcony, for those of you who are just listening on iTunes, um, and it was just really cool to get his perspective on the town that I grew up in, um, growing up with my dad, which was kind of cool. And I guess just some of the, I guess the world we live in right now in terms of the current, um, issues that surround the Aboriginal population of Australia, uh, and just, just, I guess the general the general issues that we have in society in some ways that that do surround race and um, what we can kind of do to get around some of those and I don't think we change the world in this podcast I don't think we really come up with any solutions for any of the problems but it's just really cool to sit down and, and have a chat with a guy like him get his perspective on some things that I've spent time thinking about and even me and Glenn talked about on the last podcast and I guess if my current way of thinking is in line with um, how other people think and I guess just maybe opening my mind up to some new ideas or maybe some new experiences through David's lived experiences. So it was pretty cool to sit down on the balcony in Cairns with a guy like David Hudson and uh, then to share it to you guys. So as always, thank you for listening and enjoy this chapter of Gypsy Tales. Righto. David Hudson. Yeah, how you going, mate? Welcome to Gypsy Tales Podcast, brother. Thanks. Yeah, no, nah, look, I'm really excited, eh? What, uh, this come come up quick. We um, we, we got Glenn Jacobs on the other day, old Uncle Glenn, and um, <laughs> your name come up, and then I said, I texted him this, just this morning, and I was like, hey, can you get me David's, like, number, and I'll see if he wants to jump on, and get on to Sydney and now we're on your balcony in Whitfield, got a view of the city and... Oh, you know, you know he knows my house. I'm, a, I'm his role model, you know. He looks up to you. <laughs> he looks up to me. The, the icon. <laughs> so so what would, for the people listening, what would you be best known for, do you think? 
Look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a local born and raised in Cairns, so I did all my schooling here. I went to Cairns North, Cairns State High School. So in regards to your local people, I guess I'm, I'm more well known for my music. And, um, um, you know, I was, you know, bought up a Reservoir Road, Martin Street, then Stratford. So, um, so I had a very good lifestyle growing up here, you know, um, and from motorbikes to playing music and playing drums at high school. And um, I guess by... V- 15 in regards to um, I, I started just taking a really avid interest in motorbikes and then uh, and then you know I used to race on a small little like a like a little peewee 50 and then you grew up to a, an 80 and then a 125 and um, knew all the local fellas and I knew this bloke called Peter Peter McAlpine and uh, yeah he was he was a bit of a lad around town that's so crazy to me that you <laughs> that knew my old man and all that kind of stuff and um yeah, that, that kind of blows me away, to be honest. Oh, no, well, we all grew up, see, because... Um, well, like, my, if we looked hard enough, we could probably see my grandma's house from here. Yeah, well, she just lives down the road from me, barely yeah. five minutes. So I know exactly where, where um, she lives and where Peter grew up and uh, his sister and uh, the older sister. Um, yeah, but we all grew up, you know, like, because I was, I was a Cairns High boy, he was a Trinity Bay High School, you know, and... Uh, um, yeah, we had... Th- those were the good days, you know, when you you jump the... You, you, you put your motorbike on the back of the ute and off you go down to Edmonton and then yeah. you do motocross and scrambles and flat track and all that sort of thing. And uh, it was fun. I, um, those were the good days when you can just, you know, race around all the motorbike tracks and go up on top of the hills up here and you know, the old uh, quarry over here to my left. Mm. And uh, it was good. You, know, like you weren't hassled by cops or you know, um, cane farmers at all. They, it was just a place to ride and learn how to ride a motorbike properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, in regards to my music, yeah, I played in a, you know, a school band and I was a, a drummer. Um, but I, I was very fortunate for me growing up because I grew up with... Um, uh, see, my folks were directly out of Mona Mona Mission. The, yeah. That's that's 18 kilometres the other side of Coranda. So the mission was uh, run by the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so we you know, we, we grew up quite, quite religious, you know, going to church on a Saturday and... Um, you know, the the SGA religion is is quite strict. Where you didn't grow up eating meat, and you had caffeine-free coffee, and um, it was gluten, steak, sausage, you know, sausages, and that sort of stuff. And you know, we live in paradise here, where you can have prawns and crayfish and the and, freshest fish, and in, the freshest fish in the world, and we're eating tin food. You know, um, but uh, yeah, look, I, I learned to to play kit drums. Um, I learned clarinet at school. I learned cornet, you know, and guitar. And uh, by the time I uh, by the time '79 came, I was my dream to just leave Cairns and go and visit the big wide world. So I went to a place called Alice Springs, and I, I worked out there for at least three or four years. And um, I uh, worked on the railways. I was a was a health worker, Indigenous health worker at Congress, which is the medical centre, and that that taught me many many things because I'm from Cairns, where it's rich in rainforest and the Great Barrier Reef, and yeah. my mob they come from the west. But to go all the way to Alice Springs was a different kettle of fish because it's the desert. Yeah, and so uh, I was away from family, um, and you're out in the middle of of nowhere now and. And you're um, driving in motor cars or flying into these incredible remote Aboriginal communities and teaching the uh, the, the folks how to you know diets and 
how they should feed their babies and blah, blah, blah. And, and then uh, I met Cindy and um, she was from a little place called Area Park, New South Wales. And as an Aboriginal person growing up in Cairns, um, most of my older folks, uh, you know, resident, really, really, and cousins, they they left school at 15 because it was a thing to do and go and work on the cattle station as a ringer or cutting cane or cutting timber, picking tobacco in Mariba. But I wanted more out of life because um, I'd completed grade 12, so I went to Teachers College in Perth, Western Australia, and um, that was great because I got to see another another end of Australia's uh, western coast. Fantastic. Um, came back home in 85, was fortunate to be able to travel to California back on that day. This is this is before Crocodile Dundee, so um, I'm in San Francisco on stage in full full makeup and paint and headband, you know, and people had no idea where I was from, you know. And I said, oh, I'm from, I'm from a country called Australia, down under, you know, they're like, is that, is that Austria? I'm like, well, no, because Australia is down under and Austria is, Austria is in Europe. Yeah. So it was, a, it, was a, it was very, it was about educating Americans about who we were as Australians and especially as me as an Indigenous Australian. So um, I did six weeks touring for the Napa Valleys, San Fran, LA, San Diego. And what was that for? How did that come about, that trip? It came about because there was an, uh, an, an art gallery in Cairns called the um, the, the uh, Upstairs Gallery, and yep. um, they had known what I did, and they they thought it'd be a great idea to take this Aboriginal bloke to play the didgeridoo and open up the art art galleries and uh, the art exhibitions. Yeah. So I did that, and uh, it was fantastic, you know, performing to large audiences and then to very very uh, affluent folks as well, you know, with these galleries. And so um, flying back on the plane from LA to Sydney, um, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I come from a little place like Cairns and here I am over in, in California educating folks about my culture and and my fellow Australians are more interested in, in, in knowing more about blonde-head surf boys and Aussie rules and meat pies. And so that's why I, it's, it's important that I do what I do. It's my mission to be out there and be a global messenger to educate folks that our culture has been around for countless generations. It's a living culture in our own backyard. And it's one of the oldest cultures known to man. Like, there's so much new research and study that's coming out these days about... Uh, how old the Indigenous Australian population actually is, way older than we even think it is. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it does date back, it does date back, you know, 50, you know, 60,000 60, years yeah. ago. Um, and that's that's just, there's it's, there's evidence, there's proof, there's carbon dating done on rock sites that's that's even in my neck of the woods in Laura, you know, which is the Quinkin rock art, and you've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Iberia rock over in, in Kakadu, and... Yep. And you've got the uh, one genus over in Western Australia, and um, there was a there was a conversation I heard yesterday on the ABC, where they'd found the Egyptian coin in the rainforest in Karanda in the early 1900s. Now they were they were talking about how it got there and da da da. Uh, you know, my theory is um, if you go to the Kimberleys, there are actually Egyptian coins that are in the in the caves over there too. Well, that's because back in the day, Egyptians travelled by, you know, they were seafarers, so they came to Australia, and and I was in I was in Cairo 
15 years ago visiting the the museum and it was there that I got to to um, meet the guide and, and and the guide was was acknowledging that that the Aboriginal culture was a very old ancient culture and I said um, I noticed you've got some boomerangs on the wall over there and they said well there's there's your ancient boomerang and then there's also our boomerangs and so their boomerangs was a non-return but it was made from a trunk of um, it was a tusk of an elephant and so it was it was curved so it could be, it, it, it could be thrown to hit something not return see see that's where our, our returnables come into it yeah and I said I said um, I said here's a here's a bit of a bit of fact for you trivia fact I said we found coins in in the Kimberleys and um, and she said well I know a bit of fact as well that's that's um, that's fair income and she said that that our mummies back in the day the bandages were dipped in eucalyptus oil and I said well at that stage there was only one place that eucalyptus oil came from and that's Australia so even 3,000 years ago there would have been tradings between my mob yeah, give me those coins. I don't know what the, you know, I'm going to do with these coins. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, take some of these oil and then uh, take a boomerang while you're there. And so it was all about training. So that's my theory, how how come the coin may have ended up in Cranford. It was Perhaps it was some bloke that was also on a, on a journey trip up to uh, the Palmer River back in back in the late 1870s when, um, the, you know, the gold rush was discovered. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> hey, I'm just going to change this mic real quick because it sounds... Instantly. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Sorry, mate. Yeah, all good. I hate stuff around, but this thing just doesn't sound right. I've had one of these mics that kind of sounds weird, and I never know which one it is, but I think this is the one that sounds weird. They're expensive mics, these things. Yeah. Oh, but there's a bit of wind. Yeah, no, it's like it's real reverby. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Blowy. Yeah. Could be this one. Nah, it's definitely nah. Maybe it's just me. My my voice sounds just shit. Um, with the the boomerang thing, like, cause. It's not like a criticism of um, Aboriginal culture, but it's definitely a, at the same time period of when Westerners were sailing ships to Australia, you had Aboriginals that had only um, what the West then considered to be like primitive forms of technology. But mm. I think now that we've kind of gone down this like road of Western civilization, people are realising like, shit, they may have had it figured out to where they oh, just look- stayed with enough to technology to do what it is that you guys needed to do. Look, we did. Take a look at your $50 note. Now, on the $50 note is an Aboriginal inventor. His name is David Yanipon. David invented the aeroplane propellers that we know of today that flies aeroplanes. He's on that, pla- on that thing there because he also invented the, um, the, uh, the sheep shearing tool. And um, because he understood uh, the aerodynamics of a boomerang, that's why he was very, very instrumental with propellers for aircrafts. Uh, he was, a, he was a very smart cookie, you know. And um, um, where we are in this neck of the woods here, in Cairns and Coranda, we are the only indigenous 
group of people that has a cross boomerang and a Y boomerang. Mm. Now, most boomerangs, it's either a non-return or a returnable. So um, our boomerangs in the rainforest, they're, they're in a Y shape or an X shape. That's because um, it was, that's, that's, that's ingenuity. That's, that's knowing how to throw a boomerang just to, um, to into a flock of birds. And if the boomerang came back, then it's a returnable. But a non-return, like this mob over in, in Egypt had, that was just a, a non-return, a foulest stick. So that was just thrown to hit hit something and yeah. and do the damage. So our, our our non-return boomerangs are exactly the same. They're heavier, and if you're going to throw it throw a uh, wide boomerang or a cross boomerang at a scrub turkey in the rainforest, if it missed, hopefully it would he would, he would ricochet off a tree yeah. or the branch and then hit the hit the creature. But um, you know, no, we've we've got we've got things here that's we've been been around for yonks. You know, people say, oh, but how come Aboriginal people didn't build houses like they did in Europe and da da da? Yeah. Well, we didn't have to. You didn't need to, yeah. No, there's no need to because um, you know, we we lived a very sustainable life. You know, yeah. we knew how to grow crops. We knew how to do back burnings and, and yeah, you know, back burning. So you so you grow, so you um, this grass burns and then that brings a new life and new creatures and. Um, and so there was no need to, in, you know, whilst whilst the rest of the world was was inventing wheels and the bronze era and the and the steel era. Um, okay, we f- we're fine. We live in peace. We live in harmony. Yeah. And we've survived for countless generations. But isn't it funny now we're all getting to this stage where it's like it's gone so far with creating plastic and all this like bullshit invent inventions that were supposed to make our lives easier and now. It seems like three quarters of the world's up in arms and saying sustainability, this and that. But it's like these cultures that were, I guess, like a um, that came into contact with imperialism, they were looked down upon for a long time because they weren't following that European progression curve or the Egyptian building things. But it's all, and you know, you see how many people like want to live off the grid now and i just think it's funny that it's almost come full circle to where if we stumbled upon an indigenous population now you'd go these guys haven't figured out oh yeah look we that's what i'm saying the old saying you know what's round and bites it's it's a vicious circle so yeah we've definitely come a a big circle and and um yeah we've had nothing to prove to anybody because it was all about just just living off the land being who we are we're not trying to pretend that we've got to um you know, in in Europe, it's a different kettle of fish because um, you know you got to, there's there's other people that want to come and and take over your turf, blah da 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 da. But we've had to learn to to either you know negotiate and work with one another, and that's why um, we're still here. You know, it, it's only been 230 something years since since White Australia's been here. Um, it's not that not that old at all, realistically. Mm. I mean, I've just come back from Europe, you know, and you can you can see buildings and churches over there that are a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I went to Alaska, which is in the south of France, and that was that was totally mind-boggling to me because they've got French rock out there that's eighteen thousand years old. Yet, when I introduced myself, I said, oh, "I'm David. I'm an Aboriginal from Australia." They were like, "Wow, uh, you know, what do you think about our French art?" And I said, "Oh, it's fantastic, mate. You know." And yeah. I said, "You know, what we should do is, um, you know, we should do a uh, like a ranger program, ranger swap, so you can come over to my country and." Da, da, da. He was like, "Wow, I would love to do that. I'd love to come to Australia and and visit the ancient rock sites and and see your grinding stones and and how your people survive survived for a long, long time." I said, "Let's make it work." So we've we've swapped emails and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Like, I guess what you were saying before is a lot of people in um, 
the rest of the world are like so intrigued by indigenous culture in Australia. But um, I, I definitely, like I was saying to you before, for me, growing up here, I was immersed in Aboriginal culture, but I didn't really think of it as Aboriginal culture. Like it was just how I grew up. And I'm sure it was the same for you in in a lot of ways. Like you said, you know, you used to cruise around with my dad and ride motorbikes and stuff. So Man. it's like it, it almost, when you're in it, it doesn't seem like a thing. But then as soon as I moved to the US and, you know, you hear people talk about um, Australia and Aboriginal culture and, and even, you know, like you go down to Brisbane where it's, it isn't, it's definitely not like it is up here. Like we used to do trips where dad would send me up to Laura for the school holidays to stay with my uncles. Yeah. And the whole time <laughs> I'm just up there cruising around with all the kids and I didn't, I didn't know any different. But it's like nowadays you, you, I do appreciate what I got to experience. And then I'm also quite aware now that there's a really, really small population of white Australians that did grow up with that kind of exposure mm. to the Aboriginal community. Yeah, but you're 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 fortunate. I'm fortunate that we were, we were raised on the northeast coast of Australia, amongst the Great Barrier Reef, the rainforest. Yeah. You know, you know, we can go west and go two hours and not see a soul. You know, yeah. my, my traditional homelands are southwest, and um, I'm Uruman on my dad's side and my mother's side. I'm Western Yalangi. So yes, I grew up with a very a very strong cultural. Um, you know, family background. You know, I'm I'm from a very very large family. Um, you know, I've got like 63 first cousins, mm. and I've got a very very large extended family that goes all the way to the tip. You know, the top yep. of Australia and and out west. So, um, but to grow up in in Cairns, you know, we you know we didn't have any any issues with with schoolmates and whatever. You know, and you know because we there were lots of Germans here and Italians yeah. and. Um, you know, like you know, I couldn't give a hoot. You know who you are, because at the end of the day, we all bleed red. Mm. And so, um, you know, it, it wasn't. It, I suppose, I suppose, for even myself, not too many of my cousins rode motorbikes, especially what I was doing at yeah, Edmonton. Yeah. You know, that was that was. I, I can't. I can't name that many Aboriginal folks that that rode motorbikes and yeah. flat track and whatever. But it gave me another another insight into into um, another world of, of um, what it's like to ride motorbikes and yeah. and be amongst that family of folks and um, being a musician uh, yeah i was i uh, i was around the days of um, you know the old Tudor rooms and the house in the hill and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know we all grew up with that there and go up there and enjoy ourselves have fun and you know here we are 2018 now well well, um, no, I'm, I'm meeting your the, the next generation down again. Well, my yeah. daughter's 25 now. Um, she leads a very, a very um, exciting life as well because uh, you know I, I've I've taught her to be proud of her culture and be proud of her identity. My mother always always told me that um, you know without my culture and my identity, I'm like a tree without its roots. Yeah. So I knew that from a very very early age. I had to I had to be proud of my culture and who I was. Um, and I, you know, I want people to understand that it wasn't only until 1967 that Aboriginal Aboriginals could, could, vote. could vote in this country yeah. of ours. And so, realistically, for the first five years of my life, um, I was still under the Flora and Fauna Act. Yeah, that's so, so crazy. So, so I was still I was considered a plant. Yeah, <laughs> it's full on. Like, and I never um, I never really understood like what the political motives were of taking kids and people away from their traditional homes and, and creating these missions like because that 
I think like it's it's pretty obvious like there are problems in the Aboriginal community in Australia now. Yeah. But there's problems in every community. Absolutely. So I don't think it's a I don't think it's an unfair statement, but I I think it's just it's how it is with with a lot of places. Oh look, that that was back in back in those days. I'm, I I shouldn't say back in those days. Back in the day when my grandmother was removed from the Palmer River, mm. she was taken all the way from from there to Monomona. Her sister was taken to Yarraba and the brother was taken down to Palm Island, which is off Townsville. Yeah. Um, look, th- back in that day, I think it was at that at that time when when uh, if you were fair skinned and not black black, um, you were seen as okay. This these kids here might be given an opportunity to be educated and yeah. and all this sort of stuff, you know. And um, you know, yes, yes, my mum and them was, were born on a mission. Uh, the mission closed in the early sixties. But we were still very closely tied to it, you know, because of the religion thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go to Korea to this, this day and age now, um, you, there'll be you'll be you'll find mob up there that are 55 and over that probably still don't need prawns to the day and crayfish because, because of the religious of that, influence. Of that influence. Um, the younger generation, your generation, is a little different now because they weren't made to go to church and um, yeah. you know and and. It, it's not just my mob, it's it's a whole different uh, genre out there now and generation where, you know, back in my day, you know, I'm only 56, but uh, I was taught to respect my elders and if I weren't um, listening to my elders, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, old granny would kick me up the backside and say, yeah. you know, come on, David, stop being a naughty boy and blah, blah, blah. And I'd, I'd accept that yeah. because that's the way it was. This generation, very different. Yeah. What was the reason, though, why um, the tribes and communities were split? Because that, to me, like from my experience of being around Aboriginal communities all through Cape York throughout my life, it's the problems that seem to come up there are because there's all these families and people that are from they're from different areas. Like you got rainforest people mixing with you know outback people and you've got different mobs that are coming together and it kind of, it did create a lot of a lot of issues by well, splitting these people up what like do you know what the motivation was from our government side to actually split those people oh, well, up you, you, well folks were just put into to different um to different communities i mean the, my family are a, a good example of that my folks come from from laura you know yep. the, the um it's it's dry country. It's it's full of rock art. Um, it's all granite, red oil. It's, uh, red, well, it's granite. It's oxide country. Yep. You know, um, my this way. It's it's um, you know out towards Georgetown, Mount Surprise. It's volcanic. Yep. Um, yeah, we're we're you know freshwater people. So you're taken away from those those conditions and you're brought to the rainforest. Very different conditions at all, you know, because because you've got rainforest to contend with, you've got humidity, yeah. you've got green trees, which isn't a great, which isn't a bad thing. However, you've got mildew and humidity, and, and um, this is different. It's a different life. It's it's a different lifestyle. I mean, for myself, for example, I was you know born and raised here, but I suffer from sinuses and hay fever and da da da. Once I'm on the other side of the of the of the tablelands, I'm fine because I, I I'm I'm back in the homelands. It's dry. Yeah. Um, and I don't sneeze and carry on. So um, that's salt water. Look, born here, but at the end of the day, I'm a freshwater person, yeah. not salty. But do you like so? I just I still sort of I don't understand what the motivation was for taking 
the indigenous communities and putting them in missions. Do you think it was purely a religious thing to where they wanted no, to was, educate, was, or was it? No, it was to purely it was purely um, ignorance and arrogance by by putting all these people into one community. It's like it's like. That's that's like creating friction yeah, there yeah. immediately. It's like putting a German and an Italian and a French yeah, because and a I, Hungarian. Okay, yeah. folks, now live together. Well, it's not going to happen because there's going to be disputes and people's different cultures, different religions, different uh, different way of thinking. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the Aboriginal community when it comes to like families and it's it was a tribal environment and there was tribes that didn't get along together there was tribes that didn't yeah, absolutely you know so that that created a huge problem and i think like if you go up to cape york now i think you can still see effects of that kind of oh, yeah. that kind of you know forcing people to live together like you guys had it figured out to where it was relatively stable so it just seems seems like and i, I wonder too on on the um the you know the settlers side of things if they knew that that was a going to be a byproduct i mean they couldn't have known um that that was something that no, they that's, were kind of trying to that that was going to happen because of that that just comes back to to ignorance and arrogance just not knowing it's like it's like someone trying to say oh well i've <clears throat> I've, I've lived in india and i've come to australia and well, you know i know black people yeah well, no, you don't know black people. You may have worked in India, but don't try and come here and try and say that you know Aboriginal people because we're, we're a different mob. You know, yeah. we're, 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 we're indigenous people to this country. We're not from from India. Yeah. We're not from Goa, you know. I'm the same rules don't apply. Don't, don't, no rules don't apply here. Um, you know, India's a different kettle of fish as well because they've been under that that, that ruling of, of the um, the Brits. Yeah. And, um, and as Australia, you know, we're, we're part of the Commonwealth. But um, yeah, it, back in the day, then it's 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 just through arrogance that you want to take people away from here and yeah. and then shove them here and then you're being shoved about, you know. And it's like saying, well, this Aboriginal person, well, he'll do really well there, but and then on the same token, um, actually there was a big mistake there because we know there's minerals under there, so um, we we want those minerals, so we're going to shift that that this Aboriginal bloke there, we're going to put him over here, yeah. So he's now being moved again. So it's just a vicious circle, a vicious cycle that, um, look, it's 2018, we're still dealing with these, these yeah. issues and uh, you, can't, you can't talk about these things in five minutes. You can't yeah. talk about a 50,000-year-old culture in five minutes. It's, it's impossible. Yeah, no, and I 100% agree. And I think that we think about it as a, an old problem. Like, I guess it's Australia's first problem. If you looked at Australia in terms of, like, we're all here now, because I think that's like, I guess that's my angle of it. Um, but then again, like, it's hard for me to think like, I've got a good representation of both sides. A lot of people don't. Like, a lot of people, um, they've, have, they've only got one perspective on it because maybe they grew up in the suburbs of Sydney. Where they, where they, you know what I mean? So well, it's you like, would, you would, because um, come 1992, that was, that was the the birth of, of um, you know Marbo. So for the first time in, in history, um, we as Indigenous people, um, we've now got the rights, you know. So as long as we can prove that I'm related to you and I'm related to you, we can form this, this um, corporation. Mm. So everybody in Australia come 1992 had to form corporations through a connection report. So, so you can imagine the 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 scaremongering that took place when when Howard was in, in in was a prime minister. Yeah. You know, 
John Howard at that time caused havoc. Yeah. Because he, he, he created that amongst the graziers and the miners. And so there was all this nonsense going around that, oh, all these blackfellas are going to take over your land and take over your cattle stations because of land rights. Far from the truth. It was, it was, a, it was a, a, a learning curve that needed to be, to be exercised properly, yeah. but it wasn't done properly. And so that's why there was all this, this conflict. There are still people out there that still don't understand what native title is all about. Native title, for me, means that we've fought hard 20 years to prove to the government that, that my traditional homelands are southwest or northwest, and um, that's where my, my traditional roots started from. And so, um, so in uh, four or five years ago, we actually had our native title determined in the in the in the courts. Yeah. And so we're now officially recognised that we are the traditional landowners of the of the Etheridge Shire and all all out in that country out there. What does native title still mean? Well, who knows? But at least we're recognised now. So at least there's a big sign saying that when you come into the Etheridge Shire, welcome to the Etheridge Shire, the traditional homelands of the Uruman people. Yeah. That's something that we never got prior to 1992. We buried two of our elders back on country because because they wanted to be buried back on the reserves where they were born. Yeah. So we took them back to, to, the, to the Georgetown Reserve. And uh, for the first time in history, that the Etheridge Shire actually flew our Aboriginal flags at half-mast. That totally was mind-boggling. That, that blew me away because... Prior to 92, you would not ever, ever see uh, a flag being flown in the Etheridge Shire. No yeah. way in the world. I'm a big um, I'm a big supporter of changing our flag. And again, it's like, it's such a complicated issue because we've got, um, the, I guess the main argument is, comes in the form of like the people that fought under that flag in World War One and World War Two. Sure. But I would say that there was an equal amount of Aboriginal people that, not maybe not an equal amount, but there was Aboriginal soldiers that died in World War Two in the in the same World War One and World War One in the same way. So I mean, I I think that um, yeah, fuck, we need to look at changing something so it represents us. Like when I see the Union Jack I think of the Queen but when I see that Aboriginal flag I think of Australia and I'm an Australian I was born in Cairns like I don't have anything to do with that so it's <laughs> like I mean I, I, I really wish that that is a conversation that we could have without the I mean I get that I get that that argument to keep it the way it is but at the same time I'm like man wouldn't it be fucking cool to have something that Represents everybody because do you feel included in that flag? Oh look, no, absolutely not because it's it's a Union Jack, the Southern Cross. Absolutely, that's got to be part of it because we live under the Southern Cross. Yeah, you can't see nice Southern Cross in the northern northern skies because you don't. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the um. So there's parts of it that you can identify with. So like the the Southern the, yeah, the Southern Cross, Cross absolutely yeah. because that's part of our dreaming stories. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you at, at night time, if you look up at the Southern Cross, you can see dreaming stories of how that pointer there represents, you know, represents the beak of, a, of an emu or the eagle, and yeah. so that that I associate with big time. The Union Jack, no, I got no real, I got I got no closeness to that at all. Yeah, um, and that would represent a negative thing in in some form as well, like with that kind of imperialism and and what it meant to colonising Australia. But so I mean. I guess like the argument probably shouldn't be like should we 
make Australia's flag the Aboriginal flag or should we keep it the same? Like, is there a way that we can oh, well, you come to co- together? Well, you, you know, know what I mean? Combine, well, you've got to combine both flags under some some very very clever yeah um, you know but but sim- but keep it simplistic yeah but even you know? the colours of the Aboriginal flag make me think of Australia you know what I mean like that that looks to me like the red centre that looks to me like our red earth and the the golden rays of you know a, a sunset in Alice Springs like to me that that is uh, Australian so yeah. it's like oh, look I, look I I um I was raised here so um so I'm I'm uh, I'm all for having different colours in it, you know, the blues and the greens, because I'm I'm raised around yeah, blues yeah. and greens. Um, yeah, look, I, look, I can understand why red, blue, red, black, and yellow probably doesn't see doesn't appeal to everybody. Um, it appeals to me because I'm an Aboriginal. However, uh, I'm you know I'm, I look at it from a, a different angle, you know, yeah. because you got the you got the rainforest and the blues. We got we got the oldest living you know man um it's not man-made it's it's a living thing that's been there for is that the reef whatever you know yeah. it's it's uh well, you it's, can see it from space we've got it's like we've, we've got the largest living we've got organism. the largest seashell collection where we live and it's called the great barrier reef yeah um you know and yes there is the browns out in the desert there is the the greens and the blues and and we are famous for our our an island that's that's in, encapsulated by 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 what's here, you know, and our animals, our traditional animals all have soft pads. So, 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 yeah, yes, I, I agree we should have the kangaroo and the emu on there. Um, but that's, that, that needs, needs further thought on, on that. Yeah, definitely. But I think that, like, and this is my view of um, the whole, because, like, the big thing at the moment going around is in the, the US is, like, white privilege. And I think, and I think it's a sli- I think it's a slippery slope for people to even go down because I think once you start comparing people's privilege, it's like where do you stop? Who is the most disenfranchised person? You know what I mean? And I think that you start to go back and back and back. And I think that it's a it's a it's an argument that forces you to go backwards instead of forwards. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And and um, and having someone like like Trump as the president doesn't help doesn't help anybody's cause um, I think that well I think that it can help people's cause in terms of don't do this you know what I mean so it's almost like learn I think there's a there's a certain element of like everyone can just go fuck and yeah, it, it sort of pushes yeah but why is Trump forward. why is Trump still in power when he's he's done all the all the things that everybody else fights against you know how many how many things has he done with in regards to being careless, done stuff underhanded. I think with with Trump though, it's a sign of the times of where the US is at. And I I've lived over there for the past six years, seven years roughly, and I I could see it change. And mm. I'd swear to God, the day that Trump said he was running for president presidency, I said he was going to win, because what you see in the media of America and what you see on the silver screen and what you see in TV shows you see LA you see San Francisco you see San Diego you see New York and you that's the that's what you see right but what about Idaho what about Iowa what about Oklahoma what about all of these other places that are dealing with like so uh, there's a there's a real concern for me that most of America is a third world country so I think that the, the bigger issue for well, I think 
Trump is almost like the cancer that's happened to America living poorly for a lot of years oh, you know yeah. what I mean they've smoked three packs of cigarettes a day and <laughs> so I think that what you're seeing and he's still in power is because there's a huge 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 percentage of the country that feels very neglected and you know I, I think that you know you push people into a corner and they're gonna lash out in a very um, aggressive counterproductive way and I think that is Trump Trump is the, the lashing out of the people in America that have feel like they've been fucked over for a lot sure. of years. And so I think that, you know, that's why he's there. But I think that ultimately people will get better as a result of it because we're really seeing like, we're seeing the result of all of, you know, the three packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah. And now people are trying to scramble to get the chemo and beat the cancer. But it's like, you guys need to look at what you did to cause the cancer. And I think that, <laughs> You know that's a a lot of um, that's a, a lot of issues kind of in society in general. Yeah. We, we we need to look at what what caused those core issues. Absolutely, and I you know like he's he's just to me he's he's like herpes. It just won't go away. You know, um, whether he's in power for the next next um, the next elections, I can't it, see it happening. Is anybody's guess? But I think that I think that look, yeah, it sucks that he's there, but I think ultimately it's going to be a good thing because now we've gone like, fuck, this can happen, and you know, <laughs> people kind of lived in this world of like, this, oh, it could never happen, it could never happen, blah 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 blah. But it's like, well, he's here now, and it's like it's sort of up to everyone to, to sort of deal with it, I guess. But yeah, um, look, I, I enjoy going to America, but um, I, I still I still think that Americans know very very little about the rest of the world they, because yeah, they because they all their news is about america yeah and um you know when i say i'm from a little place like cairns on the they got they got no idea where i'm no from no idea they, they may have heard of the great barrier reef in uluru maybe but yeah. um they know very very little and if they do they know about skippy or something you know yeah yeah crocodile daddy <laughs> that's not a knife yeah but so i guess like what i was kind of get at before is for me there's like it's something that I still haven't figured out and I think that I mean it's probably a, a lot of people I guess haven't figured it out but it's like the whole um, it's almost like we're at a stalemate on both sides where it I think we need to come at a p place of like agreeing on something and then like kind of figuring out like the, the stuff you don't agree on but it coming from like that middle place but with me like I I've, like I said, I grew up here and I've experienced a lot of Aboriginal culture and I've, I feel like I've got a well-rounded thing on it and it's or a, a take on it, I guess. And it's yeah, like, but you've been fortunate though. And see, I have been, That's yeah. the word fortunate. If you were brought up in... Oh, I'm, I'm not knocking Brisbane or Sydney. But, yeah, yeah, but, no, but, that's but, a good example. But at least Cairns, Cairns has the largest Indigenous population in Queensland. Yeah. So here... You know, if you want to go pig shooting or hunting or fishing or whatever, you've had the opportunities of, of being able to do that. Yeah. Today's society is a little different. You know, like you can't just go and swim in the Kamarunga yeah. River anymore because you, you can't because of crocodiles, etc. Yeah. Um, you can't go and do this because of an OHS issues. And yeah. It's 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 got ridiculous. Like in in skiing now in the falls, they've now got to stop tobogganing because it's too dangerous. Yeah. You know. We're dumbing down society in well, a big it's, way Well, it's got ridiculous, and um, you know, I, all I can say is you're fortunate yeah. to grow up in this in this uh, lifestyle, 
where you had someone like your like your dad who um, rode motorbikes, um, gave you the opportunity to ride motorbikes, go bush, yeah, um, and experience life. I mean, if you were if you were raised in Sydney, things would be probably different for you. Well, yeah. they would be. I know they would be. Oh, 100 percent. So with that, I guess um, talking about the the issues of uh, between Indigenous Australians and and I guess white Australia or I guess that's probably the easiest way to put it. But it's like, where do you stand on the whole, like, we did come here uh, from the from the UK and then we colonised here. All of that fucked up shit went down. Where do you stand on the argument of it was, if it wasn't us, it was going to be somebody else? Like, what does what does that mean to you? Because for me that's something I'm stuck on in my own personal uh, you know what I mean in creating my own personal view on because again it's like how do you go forward this is where we are now and it's how do you go forward but what is your feeling on that argument which would come from this side yeah but people people that I mean yes we can go on about Cook discovered Australia I mean Cook missed out by 600 years you know Macassan's already been to Australia and the Dutch and and um, and the Egyptians back Countless, you know, two thousand years ago. So, at this stage, yeah, the, yeah, okay. Australians are made up of um, f- folks that come from England, Scotland, Ireland. Yeah, we've, we've got a very, very. Um, I mean, I, I just came back from Ireland. I mean, realistically, Australia is is a smaller version of Ireland. You know, yeah, we've got the same same uh, lingo. You know, we uh, we're quite humorous people. Blah blah blah. When it comes to Aboriginal people, I think. Um, we as Aboriginal folks weren't given opportunity to to showcase who we are. Yeah. You know, if you want to go back to the Boer War, um, yeah, our folks were were taken over to to South Africa as black trackers and and whatever. Don't forget that to bring those folks back into this country, they weren't allowed back in this country because they weren't even considered citizens. Huh. So we've still got Aboriginal people living in South Africa to this day. Really, I've been involved with. With um, 100 years of, of uh, World War One celebrations, the commemorations. Now, yes, I've done Gallipoli, I've done Villas Breton, New France, I've done uh, Bathsheba in Israel, and so so I think they finally realised that that folks got to, got to also recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders also played a major role in these wars. Yeah. Um, a lot of these Aboriginal folks, if you said you were Aboriginal, you weren't even allowed to go to the war. So you said, oh, well, I'm Maori, I'm from New Zealand. Yeah. So you fought for this country. Yes, even if you went and fought for the country, you came back, you were then just considered, oh, you're just another Aboriginal bloke, who cares about you? Yeah. But you fought for the country. So our folks have been fighting for this country um, as much as any other yeah. white Australian since, since uh, you know, 230 years ago. So, yes, we just need to have that change and to be giving recognition in our identity. Yeah. Um, still, realistically, in this country, there, there's never been a, a, a treaty signed. So until there's a treaty signed this country, we will be where we are and you'll still be pondering over that same question you're asking me. Yeah. So Aboriginal people have got to be, be given a voice to be heard with and just to show folks that we can also control our own destiny and, our, and, and be, be in charge of who we are. Every time there's a there's a minister for Indigenous Affairs, is, is it an Aboriginal person? Never. That's what I wanted to know. Like, I wanted to ask, like, is there an Aboriginal leader in Australia? Like, who's our black figurehead? 
who is there's, there's many black figureheads that we've had in this country from Neville Bonner to Charlie Perkins to Mickey Miller to my uncle Clary Grogan um, you know, Neville Bonner was the first Indigenous um, you know, Fed Senator in Queensland Charlie Perkins was a great historian a cultural man um, but once again you're still under that colonialistic way of thinking so that's why these people have always been chosen 2018 We've got Nigel Scallion, who's the, the Minister for Indigenous Affairs. I've never even heard of him. I'm bugging if I know how he's got, he got <laughs> yeah. to be the Minister for Indigenous Affairs. Yeah. Well, that's like, I guess that's that's really my thing now. It's like, I'm stuck on the question of, like, okay, we're here now. Uh, Captain Cook came. The colonisation happened. Some fucked up shit went down. And here we are. So it's like... Obviously, me as an, as an individual, I'm a white Australian, I was born in Cairns, I can't do anything about that past as in terms of I couldn't, if I could go back and fix it, I can't. So, like, that's the thing that I'm stuck on. So, it's like, how do I now contribute to keeping the culture alive? Because oh. in my mind, it's, it's our culture. Like, I might not be a black, uh, an Indigenous black Australian, but I'm an Australian and your culture influenced me when I was growing up I've had a boomerang and a didgeridoo my entire life I can play mm. the didgeridoo mm-hmm. so it's like for me like it it does become a weird thing and, and I think one of the things that that hurts us is that whole idea of white privilege or you know what I mean those type of those yeah. types of things because then in my head I'm sitting here across from you and obviously there's no there's nothing that's in a negative vein from my end going forward so and a lot of the times too I think that it's not even indigenous people that throw around the label of white privilege. It's other white Australians. And it's like, I think it's a very counterproductive thing because I'm sitting here going like, fuck, all right, let's go forward. How do we go forward? And then it's like, well, you need to acknowledge your white privilege. And I'm like, what? I'm trying to do the right thing. Like, so I'm just trying look, to do, I'm trying to be a part of the solution. Look, you can't, you know? you, I mean, stop trying to be a martyr as well. I mean, you know, just, just be who you are. Mm. You know, we... we you know, like myself, for example, the only way that I can I can educate people is to is to do what I do now. Now, back in the early eighties, I went to teachers' college, so I've got a piece of paper. So that piece of paper gets me the foot in the door to do cross cultural awareness training now. Yeah. So I I do that to anybody that that um, that needs to be to be given a uh, a cultural lesson on who we are as Indigenous Australians. So I could I could be speaking to the managers of the um, the hotels. I could be speaking to um, front house managers for medical centres, mm. um, and I want folks to understand that yeah, I'm Dave Hudson. I'm a, I'm a local musician, um, motorbike rider, but but uh, but I'm also a global messenger who's got a messenger message that needs to be heard. Mm. So in my own subtle way, I'm educating people about about being proud of being who you are as an Australian. Mm. Um, yeah, you don't have to be to be black to be to be an Australian. You mm. are you are an Aussie, and we're Aussies. And um, but but all these decisions, unfortunately, it's not made by Indigenous people of this country of ours. They're being made by um, senators and people who have been chosen to be part of this this system. This system. They make decisions for us. I mean, you've seen it. You've been up to the Cape York. You've been been up to the to Lockhart River and Arakoon, and you know what it's like. I know what it's like. That people up there are still living. There's there's six different mobs living in one community mm. that comes from different mobs. Um, why is their family of twelve living in a in a two bedroom house? 
That's because the the folks from down south, the city boys, are making the decisions and not by us local people that live up here. Mm. Like you try and tell these folks, we don't want nice, nice shiny houses with with glass windows. Yeah, you know, we live in Cape York for God's sakes. We don't need glass windows. Just build us nice um, sliding windows that you can push out. Yeah, a veranda and a barbecue outside where we can do cup murrays and bangers and yeah, and um, just live the lifestyle we want to live. But no, they make the decisions for us from from down south. And then when all these windows get smashed, they're the first ones to turn around saying, "Oh, these black fellas, they don't appreciate it." Mm. So that's why I'm saying black people have got to control our own destinations. If we want to blame somebody, then we can we can blame our own mob. Yeah, and I think that I, I definitely did see a lot of that. And I saw a lot of... Um, I'd spent a lot of time in Cape York pre-Prohibition era. So I grew up and was old enough to see what it was like when they weren't dry communities and then there was a, the forced Prohibition. And I think alcohol is a huge problem in Aboriginal communities and some Aboriginal communities. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's there was not maybe not like the right way to deal with that or like let's look at what the problems were let's look at where all this stemmed from and i think well once again the problems aren't stemmed by indigenous people those Mm. those decisions are made by um down south the the southerners once again why would you want to live on an aboriginal community when when come six o'clock you can only buy one or two two cartons of grog why live there? Oh well, blow that! I'll go and live in Cairns where I can I can buy up to twenty cartons of grog un- yeah. until ten o'clock. And it's just like, obviously, it's a problem in, say, alcohol is a problem in those communities, right? Alcohol is a problem in this community. Mm-hmm. How many fights are you seeing in you know at the front of Gilligan's at three o'clock in the morning? Like that's an alcohol-related problem. <laughs> so it's like, I think that yeah, there's like these band-aid solutions to these you know complex problem so if someone's abusing like there was a there's a great TED talk for anyone that wants to um, go from like after this podcast to listen to it it's about addiction and this guy um, basically was doing these studies with rats and um, addiction and trying to understand the psychology of addiction so he put these rats in a cage right so there was a male rat and it had nothing in its cage nothing at all and then it had uh, water and then cocaine in the water. And these rats would fucking kill themselves like that OD on this cocaine water. And then on the next, right next to that rat, he had another rat with like a full playground, a couple of a couple <laughs> of hot chick rats in there. And he also had the same cocaine and the same normal water. And that rat, those rats with a better enclosure didn't OD on the yeah. cocaine so it, it, it to me yeah, it's because like, he did it in moderation what but it's like a it's a, a the rat was only a product of its environment mm. there's this there's nothing in this environment to stimulate or to give any enrichment so from me like looking at those communities if there starts to be these big problems with alcoholism and alcohol abuse that's so widespread in a community that you would then think to like take the alcohol away from the community again it's like that the cancer thing has happened and now we're mad at the cancer it's like there's obviously been a thing to cause this problem and to me that's where i i have a problem with it because it's like you can't tell a group of people they can't do something like it's just alcohol i can go to a gas uh, uh, as liquor store right now buy alcohol you can go and buy alcohol we just live in this community so it's it's like you're infringing upon these like a group's rights based on an issue that's in the society but it's like where does that issue stem from 
Well, you know what I mean. Once again, it just comes back to to people who make decisions for for Aboriginal people and communities, and they make decisions for us in Cairns, for example. Um, you know, but I but I, I live in Cairns because I choose to live in Cairns. So I, yes, I, I live in a nice house here, but um, I, I've got to follow the the rules. I've got to pay my rates, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like anybody else. So yeah. all this nonsense about oh, blackfellas get they get more money than us. What a load of crap. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about any of that stuff, but I don't think that that's a like, I don't know why that's a, even a thing that comes up. You know what I mean? Like, we've all got the same <laughs> fucking chance to do shit. I think there's, you, you definitely would be ignorant to assume that in the past, Aboriginal <clears throat> people had the same opportunities for um, education, for jobs. Like, and I'm talking back when you know when you were growing up there wouldn't have been the same opportunities. There would have been a really big disconnect between um, just the opportunities afforded. So I think, like, I think the natural thing, and it's not something that I'm sure white Australians are proud of looking back at it now, and it's, again, that defensive thing of, like, that's the reaction is to sort of, like, lash out. But you're, you're, it's a joke if you could sit here and say that 40 years ago an Aboriginal bloke would have had the exact same opportunities as a white bloke for yeah, you look, know, it's, education it's, for it, that it sort was of very stuff. very different i mean when i when i graduated grade 12 um there were six aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders that, that that graduated that year no but as i said most most would rather leave school at the age of 15 and, and go and pursue their own yeah own um life life to live for the rest of their life you know being a primary school teacher not a high school primary school teacher but that's just the old typical stereotyping too yeah um but myself i mean i i speak for my my me as dave because um uh, i was encouraged to to further my education yeah um i realized that once i was in alice springs well, I've, I've, I've finished grade 12. I don't want to be working on the railways for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I, I went to teacher's college and got a piece of paper. And um, the opportunities that I've been given, um, I've got to be thankful for having a family network that encouraged me to, mm. to go on to bigger and better things and, and prove prove that there's there's more to two, you know, two crabs in a bucket yeah. where one crab's trying to get out and the other crab's grabbing the other crab and pulling him back down. Yeah. We've got to learn this country of ours just like black Americans, black Americans have, have learned that if you get up to this level here, uh, I think you'll find most black Americans will want to push that person up yeah. over the bucket to pursue his career. Um, I think we've we've come a long way, and yeah, yes, we're I, definitely I so. seeing a lot more um, of us in the media now. We've got an NITV on Channel Thirty Four, which is great to see. We're also promoting um, you know the marriage um, stations in New Zealand. Um, but you see a lot, a lot more of people on country being interviewed now, and we've got a lot more folks that are being anchors now. So that's yeah. great to see. Um, we've always had Indigenous people playing for, you know, the sports, rugby league, Aussie oh, rules, yeah. etc., etc. You won't see too many people um, playing golf, and that's because that's that's a rich man sport, so to speak. However, rugby league, boxing, yeah, you'll see a large contingent of. of uh, of um, of indigenous folks that have done very well for themselves, um, because we're just naturally talented and we've, we've got the skills. Oh, to look do it. at the like rhythm and you know what I mean. Because it, you're not so far disconnected from that tribal around the campfire making you know <laughs> percussions and stuff. Like that's one of the things that 
it always it kind of frustrates me about like modern society right is that there's this big push to make us all equal and i think that's the wrong thing to do i think that we should be celebrating that we're different and not expecting the same thing of everybody not measuring because like you talk about success right what is success success to one person like my uncle dale that you know success to him is being a lawyer and he's got his degrees and then that's a different idea of success than my idea of success Hmm. and would it be fair for us to all be treated equal i don't want to be treated like that and i think that that same thing can be said for people in the aboriginal community and i think back in when you grew up how many aboriginal kids were interested in furthering their education and things like that how many of their parents knew that that was something to be valued you know what i mean so it's like that it's a i think we need to judge people as a product of their times and environment as opposed to a product of their skin color or because i'm a different white guy to a lot of different white guys like i don't want to be is there a model that i should follow as a white man for success is there a model that you should follow as a black man for success i think that so much of the problem of what where we're at right now is boys and girls should be treated equally guys and uh, black man white man should be treated equally mate i will never ever like we had some boys that played for my football team that like were just so i could never run a hundred meter sprint in my (laughs) life if i trained every single day of my life to be as fast as as those boys that played on my football team or as big as some of those or as hard as some of those like those boys like the Addo boys just so hard and (laughs) tough and talented that's not fair to me but it's not supposed to be fair we're all different and I think that you know people should be celebrated for these differences and and not be held they people should be held to their own standards of success or their own standards of accomplishment and I think that there is a problem of like throwing these blanket terms of like you know go to grade 12 you you were lucky that you came from a family that that uh gave you the knowledge that said you should go to year 12 and then that is then you know what i'm saying it's it's yeah, just yeah, no, a, I, I was i was i was fortunate see see what let's let's also keep in mind here that that even even in the um in the in the 40s and the 50s uh, aboriginal people weren't even allowed to go to school high school mm. Unless you know, unless you could prove that your fa- your parents came th- came from the college, uh, came from the mission with an exemption card. Yeah, now, right. That was my, like a passport. Sort my of thing, my eh? mother, I've, I've still got my mum's original exemption card, and I use that today when I do my talks and yeah. cultural studies. And, and um, you know, people ask me what what gives me the drive and the passion to do what I do, what I do. And I said, well, what drives me is is my mum's exemption card, and I showed them, and people go, what's that? I said, well, this is my this is my mother's exemption card. It's a, it was her passport to live in this country of ours as a free citizen. And the young people got no idea what I'm talking about until you actually. She I mean, I didn't. To I didn't know that and, until recently. And, and you show people that I, I got my mum's. Exe- I, I carry my mum to the day she passed on. Still carried her exemption card in her in her handbag. And I said, Mum, I said. You don't need that anymore. You don't need it anymore. She goes, Oh, you never know, David. You know things may change. But she was she was that that far you know 
brainwashed that um, she had to carry that exemption card with her. And so I was like, okay. Well, there was probably some serious consequences for her if she didn't, if she got caught without yeah, it. There were serious consequences. And, uh, um, you know, coming from a mission like, like at, at Coranda there, she ran away twice to go and live in the Atherton Tablelands and work and try and be successful without being on a mission. But come World War Two, she uh, the, the soldiers all come here to train on the Atherton Tablelands. So she runs back to the mission and then um, she's given a bed, so to speak. But but she's put into the dormitories. So you've got a senior dormitory and you've got a, dorm, uh, a junior dormitory. So so even even if she's born on the mission, she's even removed from her mother on the mission. Yeah, right. So, you know... And it's and I think that the the thing that we all have to keep remembering is this isn't that long ago. Like this is your mum. Oh, this is only this is only in the you know sixties. You know, um, well the mission closed in sixties, but but um, it's it's around my time. I, I grew up when, when my brothers mm. came off the mission when they were only fourteen and fifteen. You know, um, and for the first time they could actually actually drink beer. Yeah. Because on uh, prior to that they were on a mission where you drink milk. Yeah. you know <laughs> water um, but to be given an opportunity to drink beer perhaps that's perhaps is the reason why there was just such a um, uh, an issue with alcohol yeah I, th- I think that I mean I definitely have a, an opinion on that like if you look at back into the European history like you go back to say let's look at Italians for example like there's stories of Italian soldiers that were traveling through Europe and they weren't. Uh, they were getting sick from drinking different water sources, yep. so they would just drink wine. So yeah, you get these Italians, and they're marching, they're fighting in these wars, <laughs> and they're just fucking drunk, like twenty four seven. They're drunk. They're drinking wine. There was nothing like that in Australia. So you you look at you know we've only been here a couple hundred years. So we've got as Europeans, we've got thousands of years of drinking alcohol, <clears throat> and then you introduce that into. Uh, uh, an indigenous population that has no way of you know there's no evolution that's gone into being able to handle that kind of stuff <laughs> plus you couple that with like there, there's negative effects to to people drinking alcohol like yeah. that are that did come from those kind of cultures where alcohol's been around for thousands of years so yeah, it's whether like, you want to say you know, you know I suppose you want to say that uh, that Aboriginal Australia has a very low tolerance yeah to alcohol um, I don't think I it's mean, an unfair thing to say. No, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, my, my, my brothers drank alcohol, my son, my father. My mum didn't drink alcohol, so I definitely took after her in regards to um, moving forward in the right direction. I um, still don't drink alcohol to this day and, and uh, will never drink, only you know, because I just saw the what it does to my people, and not not in my people, but it, it's a disease that's, that's, that's turned the world upside down. It, it affects everybody. Mm. Um, Oh, we all know a bad drunk. Everybody so, knows a, dr- a dude that's just the, the nicest guy, and then he drinks a six-pack of rum, <laughs> and he's a fucking idiot. Like, we all know that dude. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> but I, I, I think I was on a, I was on a, on a stance to, to prove people wrong um, and, and not just a stereotype hmm. blackfellas in this country of ours. So uh, with my my life, yeah, I've I've lived a probably a very very fortunate life. Where I've been given opportunities to to travel the world. I've um, I, I, you know for 15 years I toured with a Greek composer called Yanni, and we uh, had incredible opportunities of of performing at the pyramids and the Taj Mahal and the Forbidden mm. City, China, and 
um, Mexico and, and whatever, you know. And um, I come from a little place like Cairns, but I had these incredible opportunities to to um, perform with and, and uh, did some acting and, you know, had the opportunity to meet someone like Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer and, you know, these sort of blokes and... and um, it was incredible, you know, because my folks knew all about Marlon Brando because he's the same age. And mm. so for me as an Aboriginal bloke, even to work alongside Marlon Brando for three months was incredible, you know. What were you doing with Marlon Brando for three months? Oh, look, I was, I was chosen to be the choreographer of this film called The Island of Dr. Moreau. But um, as time went on, I, I asked to be um, in it, you know. So, I, I, you know, I played one of the baddies. I, I played the bison man, so... There were three baddies, the bison man, the boar man, and the hyena swine. And um, Brando played the doctor, and his assistant was Kilmer, you know. So um, so I had three months with Marlon Brando. It was, it was, it was great to no way. work with such an incredible man. And he, he inspired me. But, I, but even before that, I, I always looked at him as a, as a gentleman, a, a person who actually fought for Indigenous rights in this, in this world of ours. Because you know, back in the seventies, he was given an Academy Award, which he turned down, and he made he made some Native American woman go up on stage to collect the award because really? he wanted to give he wanted to give recognition to Native Americans. So she accepted the award on award on behalf of Native Americans. That's cool. So um, to spend that time with with Brando was great, and um, it just showed you that he also fought for the downtrodden. Because I remember on different occasions when he would he would absolutely get get irate at, at the director and 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 you know the small people like like what am I saying the small but the the um the the extras yeah would be out in the hot sun and you know and you know it's okay for me as a um you know one of the one of the main characters where you're actually got an umbrella and you're being given water and and whatever juices and Treating da da, da. Like a rock star. and whereas whereas the uh, the under 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 Underdogs over here, out in the hot sun, in in clothes, and there, and he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna move forward from this from this scene until we start looking after these people and and get some shade for these folks and that. And I thought, wow, that bloke there, for um for a bloke who's who's lived it and done it, he fought for indigenous rights and and I I had the incredible opportunity of taking Marlon up to to my family in Coranda and we had lunch really? up there and made him a didgeridoo, we made him a boomerang. Uh, and then he said the following year, look, he said, he said, if you um, are the rap party, he said, if you ever come to LA, Dave, please look me up. So I looked him up and uh, went to his house in uh, Mulholland Drive and uh, met Jack Nicholson and all that sort of stuff. And I'm saying, you, you, you know, for a small little homeboy like yeah. um, like Cairns, like um, you know, I got to travel and and visit things. So if, so if I can use my my status as a as a uh, an edutainer or a global messenger. And if I can, if I can just turn ten people and and educate them this much, I'm happy. Yeah. But you can't make everybody happy. You can't turn the tide because the tide controls the system. Who we are. Yeah, and I think that um, I think like we're all a part of that system in a, in a lot of like negative ways in terms of like I don't just think it's um, like the poor are disenfranchised. I think it's not just indigenous australians that get downtrodden like a lot of us do like there's a lot of people that are you know like you see so much stuff in politics that that comes along and people making deals with the chinese people making deals with the mining company like 
and I think uh, I don't know whether I'm going full conspiracy theory to, to <laughs> say that like a lot of times isn't it easier to focus on an issue like um, white versus black and get us all of us people that are like un- under the umbrella a victim of um, you know some of the government kind of corruption stuff that goes on like well, is it easier to make that's, us that's fight? That's what they want that's what there are people out there if we're getting along too smoothly, yeah, they want they that's no, oh, that shouldn't be happening in this world, you know. Yeah, there's got to be some conflict there. I mean, you know, yeah, we are under a, a, a Commonwealth nation. Um, look, I was in I was in Anzac Dawn service back in um, April 25th in Villers, Bretagne, France, and I was there for the opening of the John Monash Centre as well. So. Last year I made a promise that that the didgeridoo that I played this year I would donate to the centre. Mm. So I've done that. But I also had the opportunity of meeting someone like Prince Charles on the day. So here I am as a little Murray fella from Cairns meeting someone like Prince Charles. You know, whether you like Prince Charles or not, but he, he comes from a, a lineage of 1,000 years of when his people were, yeah. were, were the rulers of the land. Okay, now it's 2018. Will he ever become king? Probably, yeah, he will. But... He's he's a lot different to to his you know one of his grandfathers how old, old Henry the Eighth who had this many wives and yeah. and uh, beheaded him and da 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 yeah he, but he was he was a nice bloke you know he, he was he was quite witty and um, you know he said to me he says he says oh the sound of the of that didgeridoo it's it's very healing I said yeah it is a healing sound it's a, it's an ancient voice of the future. It's, you know, the didgeridoo is one of the oldest wind instruments that's been around for all yonks. But it's only been the last 30, 40 years that people are actually cottoning onto this healing sound. And he said, oh, he said, oh, he said, I was in Australia about two months ago. I said, yeah, I know you were here for the Commonwealth Games. And he said, I went to Arnhem Land and the gentleman played it to my stomach to heal me. And I said, well, get ready again, mate, because here it comes again. So I blew it to his stomach and he goes, oh... I feel healed already. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he was one of those blokes who was, um, you know, he, he didn't think he was better than I. He just had a yarn and and um, moved on. And you know, I'm not going to say it was Prince Charles. Whoopie do! It's just yeah, it's just a bloke Charles. Had a yarn with yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um, it is funny too. And like the, it's like always. I've said it before. It's like the people that are like way, way, way up. It's like they've kind of got past the whole. Uh, bullshit idea of what like fame or anything is like they're always like ah oh, yeah I'm just still me like when you've got it when you've got it all and then you're like oh okay yeah I don't really need all that shit do you think Marlon do you think someone like Marlon yeah, Brando would want to go to Crando to spend time with my family mm. he couldn't give a hoot but he said absolutely he said oh absolutely Dale I'd love to go to Crando so I took him to Crando I rang my mum I said mum I'm bringing Marlon Brando for lunch and she's like yeah okay no worries um whoopie do you know so uh, I said this bloke used to live in Pepiati Tahiti so he's used to eating the same tuckers that we that we that, that, that you cook that we eat you know like grated coconut chicken fish rice taro sweet potato mm. boom 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 and uh, I said to him I said um, I said what don't you eat he goes oh not a problem David I'm a, I'm a vegetarian <laughs> and I was like oh okay He's a big bloke though, you know. Like he was, he was 160 kilos at the time. Fuck. 
And when we got to Coranda, he's on the he's on the grass over there talking to my mum's brothers because uh, you know we're, I'm from a boxing family, and you know my uncle Claire and uncle Harry Grogan they were they were boxers back in back in their day, right? Are you related to Richie Grogan? Yeah, Richie Grogan's my younger cousin. Really? So 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 Richie's father's uncle Clary Grogan. That's my mum's younger brother. Yeah, so we go way back with him with uh, <coughs> with footy, and I I believe some maybe one of his. Sons or uh, nephews married Christine's daughter, I believe. Who's Christine? Spear. So dad's sister. So I believe one someone in Richie's family, whether it was a nephew or a son or someone, married my cousin. That was da- uh, that was Richie's someone in Richie's family. I'll check on that now. Yeah, I know. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't have it all the way right, but that's yeah. It's pretty yeah, funny. But I, I remember it. Yeah. Old, uh, old, old big Richie Grogan from yeah, no, no, he was no, a hard man too yeah no Richie's my younger cousin well not say he's, young, he's, he's younger than I but that's what yeah. I'm saying he's, young, he's my younger cousin yeah. I'm an older cousin um, but we all played you know rugby league yeah. southern suburbs fucking and, good footy players and whatever but um, you know so Richie's dad was Uncle Clary so Uncle Clary was a hard man back in his day you know like yeah. no one no one no one got Uncle Clary's road in Cairns and the Cape York so so Uncle Clarence was a, was a great inspiration to to my 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 um generation you know we we looked up to Clarence because he was a boxer back in his day and and um and he he made things move in this in the city of ours you know in regards to the older um mayors and and um you know we had you know people like um um just kind of the gentleman with the with the eyes to a coma he took him up to the to Cape York to introduce him to all the mob up there that that did Fred Hollows, and, oh and, um, yeah. So so yeah, because of Uncle Clarence, Uncle Clarence took him up there, met him up to the Torres Strait Islands, and yeah, we looked up to Uncle Clarence. He was a it was a great inspirational person, and Uncle Harry Grogan, who's who's still alive, he's still living in Mariba. He was a he was a welterweight back in his back in his time, um, but we all grew up with that with that with those types of um, elders that. that that we could look up to, and and so my mum was the eldest of everybody, so she was she was the boss lady, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so um, once the mission closed, everybody either moved to Coranda, Cairns, Mariba, and um, but to the day we're we're still a very close knitted knitted family, you know. Even that, though there's a hundred of you. Well, there's, yeah, there's there's a big family. Yeah, like we had a a Grogan reunion. Um, back in January this year, and yeah. there was 220 of us. That that was just you know immediate first cousins and second cousins and that next generations. So um, next time we you know we've been talking about having another another um, reunion, but this time we want to invite all the all the you know, I mean mum's first cousins and da da da. I mean you know. You need the Cairns Convention Centre. We're gonna have to hire the Convention Centre yeah. because yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a thousand. You know, yeah. easy. Um, but that's good. That 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 shows me my family values that I grew up with in in Cairns, and and um, you know I, I I didn't grow up with a with a racist bone in me. You know, I, mm. you, my, your your dad was my mate. You know, we're all schoolmates. There was no nonsense that was that was being carried on. We um, just just lived our life like like we're just local people. You know, and um, um, I, you know I've got to be thankful for that. So mm. uh, I. I, I was very fortunate, so I, I I can't say any more about just being being given the opportunities yeah. that I have from my mum and and her her mob, you know. So isn't it funny that um the the woman plays a much different role in Aboriginal 
society than in like our society like because well, you always like, more traditionally you, it, 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 it wasn't like that you know because because women were always known as the gatherers the men's were the hunters 28 in different kettle of fish now you know we, we've got we've got women who they're, they're educated women now you know they're doctors and they're lawyers and um, they, they play a very a very important role here um, it's, it's the women who keep our families together um, and so you've got to respect our, 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 the women because you know, they're the ones that brought us into this world. Um, and my mum, I, I, she's my life. I, she brought me in the world. She gave me what I wanted. She encouraged me to, to play guitars and drums and motorbikes and da-da-da. So she, uh, at that time, um, lived a very, very hard life. But, but um, there was always hand-me-downs, but I was just fortunate that, I was, that she was my mother mm. and she taught me to, to respect everybody. And um, if I didn't respect anybody, well, I'd soon know about it, you know. How much of um, your culture do you think was lost through those times of, you know, the, I guess, of the stolen generation and, and those kind of, that era? Or do you think we still have a pretty solid grasp on um, the entire culture? Oh, for me, for me, I'm fortunate. Once that's that's the word I keep using. I'm not lucky. I'm fortunate that that I grew up in a in, in the north. If I'd lived elsewhere, things may have been different. But but coming from Coranda, where I I spent my early years in Cairns, um, I, I still had the opportunities of going bush and and seeing my rallies that come from Laura or out west. Um, so to this day, uh, I'm the chairperson of my on my my father's side, which are the Uruman people, um, we've uh, we've we've come along in big giant steps, especially since we've had determination five years ago. So our corporation purchased Tullery Hot Springs five years ago, yeah, and um, that's between Georgetown and Mount Surprise. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Our five-year vision plan is to turn it into a cultural healing centre, and so we um, our our vision is in ten years' time we want to start building houses so that young people can go back and live back on country. And um, that's what I say, I, I'm like you, I, I, grew up, I grew up going bush and, and, um, and swimming and fishing and, and going back to country and, and meeting your rallies. So for us, uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate. I can, I, I so can, a lot of that knowledge of the original culture is still there? A lot of yeah, lang- language no. is still preserved? Oh, language is a little different because because um, most of the folks that were removed from country were brought to Coranda. So me, who grew up in Coranda, I learned to speak a Jabagai language, yep. a rainforest language, but at the end of the day, it's not my, it's not my That's traditional not language. That's not native language. So it's been our, our, it's been our um, aim and our push to um, speak to a linguist to help us retain and give our language a rebirth back on country. That's what's important to us. So where, what's the process then of kind of rediscovering that language? Oh, well, we, we, had, um, we had about 80, 80 words that we knew of, and it's also knowing how to, how to speak, how, how to, how to um, get, the, get the, your neighbours involved. So Barbram, which is in Kukubaran, you know, they, they, they also were our neighbours that spoke language. And so the, so the language and the words were very, very similar and very close. So, so Kookaburran um, uh, have helped us big time in speaking, um, speaking our language. So now we've got, 
we've got over 400 words now that that's been compiled to make so there's enough words there to even just do a small little alphabet you know for the for the kids that they go to school in on country now you know georgetown mount surprise yeah um kidston and those sort of places but it's important that uh, that this generation can can say uh you know you're my no my you know my way why my way you might away so that's just a, a simplistic greeting how are you going but it was important to to um uh write write a welcome to country in language yeah so we've done that now and so every time we do a welcome to country we do it in a Nuruman language yeah so that's that's one thing that me and glenn were talking about um when we spoke is that like you go to I mean, geez, I know people in California that can speak Spanish. They're white as snow. Yeah. There's so many places. Like if you go all through Europe, there's people that speak three, four different, oh, yeah, different but, languages. But, but Spain, Spain and French, you know, they're, they're the most spoken yeah. languages in the world. I mean, you only have to go to Fiji and New it, Caledonia. Yeah, exactly, That's yeah. because they were taken over by French. Um, an Aboriginal language, well, no, that's only that's only spoken relevant to your to your nation. Yep. Um, and so, in this country of ours now, after you know, two hundred twenty years, there's probably only two hundred languages that are still spoken fluently in this country of ours. Mm. Um, but that's a good thing. But languages are are still on the are still on the growth. Yeah. Uh, which is it's important because if we don't write this language down in my generation then it's going to make it hard for that next generation yeah. and that next generation so um, it's vitally important that we um, we write in our language and we take young kids back on the country so they can so they know that where their great grandfather was born and raised and um, yeah a massacre took place here in the 1890s so you, so that where that took place at Tullaroo that's now become a memorial ground that we've yeah. we've fenced it off we built a we'll build a, a big shed we've got dongers there set up so if you want to go up there and camp and spend the time up there on country knock your socks off yeah what um yeah i i think it'd be pretty rad i mean especially in cairns to speak um to teach all kids uh, at least some form of aboriginal language and, well, and, and well, are, are there like i mean obviously i've been in school for a long time but are there like aboriginal um you know culture classes yeah, you that can get, you, you can you can you can learn a jabba language at smithfield state high school yeah um Karanda primary school and Karanda high school so virtually if you are a um a young person under the age of 30 in Karanda you should be able to speak Jabagai language, white mm. or black. Yeah. Well, I remember, like, even when we used to go play Yarrabah for footy and you'd get them all, fla, guya, la, fla, like, you'd, oh, you yeah. know, you get all the songs and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, we, we had all the boys, like, especially my brothers one year. I, I was, it was me and this dude named Martin Jelfer were the only two white kids on the, the team. And, man, I don't know if I knew how to play footy, like, if I went to play footy with a, a crew of white boys... <laughs> So it's like, it, it is cool. And again, it's that whole, like, I just took that for granted until, like, now I'm an adult and I've been all over the world and then you, you sort of realise, well, that wasn't the normal experience. Yeah. But it's like, that's got to be a... That's got to be a way that we can, like, bridge this gap. It's like, because it's like, if there is a disconnect now between the Indigenous and then, you know, white Australia, it's like... There's so much fun in in the Aboriginal culture, and there's so much yeah. of it was centered around corroborees and big meals and and you know different dances and different instruments and things like that. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, do we have to almost get away from the um, 
the stuff that did happen and focus on the 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 fun and the positivity and and all those great aspects of of aboriginal culture and then from there it's like we stem out to try and heal a lot of this past and kind of move well, forward together well that's what we're trying to do on country so so if you look at Uruman country which is Tullaroo for example my traditional homelands are huge like we're bigger than Tasmania and Victoria put together so yeah. we are huge huge but at Tullaroo our vision is to build a cultural healing center and we've got enough land to build an, an area set aside for a 20,000 festival you know be it a cultural festival or a musical festival I'm a muso so yeah it's important to have um, concerts lands. you can still you can still come to Cairns and not experience any you can't you can't go and see a show in Cairns and 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 see Midnight Oil unless yeah. you go to Crown Amphitheatre that's only what two two three thousand people whoopie doo not big enough they had Eldon John perform here at the uh, Casales and that was 25,000 so that proved a point that it can be done yeah. however if you want to go west and experience the bush and the Ainsley River and Aboriginal culture and, and, and experience a three day festival that's what we're that's what we're trying to achieve out west and um, that that will be achieved. That's that's our goal. Well, you got like Laura Rodeo is pretty big. Like well, I know Laura Rodeo, Laura Laura, it, Laura it can Dance be done Festival. Up there. Yeah, yeah. See the Laura Dance Festival. It's every two years. So even if we did a did a Tullaroo Dance Festival every yeah, yeah. every on the off year, yeah, yeah, we can make that happen. What's your take on um, the changing Australia Day? Oh, we couldn't care less. So you know, you know what's funny is like. I feel like that's the the answer from people that are in a that should be offended or care. You know what I mean? It's like all the opposition seems to be coming from people where I'm like, why are you opposed to this? Like, you know what I, you know what I'm saying? It's like everyone that I speak to, it's like I don't care because I think that there's got to be. Um, I mean, fuck, we could change everything if 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 you know. It's like you start there. It's like where do we? Where do you stop when it comes to that kind of stuff? Cause yeah, it's look, like, I mean. Uh, Okay, what do you want to call it? Survival day. Fine. Well, you want to change it? I don't change it. I don't. I don't care. But I think like the you know what what were they? Uh, invasion day is what they. I think that people started yeah, invasion calling day it. or survival day. Yeah, we had, we had to survive. Yeah. And it's like, I get. I fair enough. Um, in terms of that's what went down. Like that's what had to happen. But I guess that it to me. I guess it just comes back to like this is the Australian now. And it's like, what is the Australia that we want to have? <laughs> do we want to have a divided Australia? Do we want to have an angry Australia? Do we want to have an Australia that's filled with um, these kinds of tensions and feelings? Because like, that's the name of the day is Australia Day. And I think that if you, if you go to like an invasion day, for example, it's like that's not really a celebration of... <clears throat> of our culture I think that paints our culture in a negative light because I think that especially if you compared Australia to so many countries like this is still a great place to live absolutely and I think that it's a great place for a lot of people that everyone that's under here everyone's got like for example you know I was living in America I hurt my kidney I almost died from a kidney failure in the US I had to fly back to Australia on death door mm. and I got free health care free, that's free to you that's free to me that's free to everybody and it's mm. like I think that yeah it's that real it's like you know when you want to start changing things to, it's almost like creating more division it's like do we need more of, of that or yeah. do we need to you know focus on these the positive aspects and, and 
you know almost it's almost like we need to where we need to become friends again before we can start yeah. to yeah i don't know i mean if you want to have a marbo day yeah let's have a marbo day done <laughs> fine let's, you know let's have a nadoc day all right, fine. Done. I used to love NADOC week at school. Like, <laughs> it used to be the most fun time of the year for us. But yeah, I just, I, it's interesting to, I guess, yeah, hear you say that because it's like, man, like, fuck, at what point are we all just going to try and be, the, like, spread some positivity? Because Aboriginal culture is filled with positivity. You guys, absolutely. You guys lived what, such a good lifestyle that so many of us even wanted to live. Like, it was yeah. just living off the land, everything was sustainable, yeah, a lot of I, family I'm, values. I'm, I'm fortunate I live in Cairns. I, I with, with what I do in my career, I could have lived in Brisbane or Sydney. I, you know, I could have lived anywhere I wanted to, but I always chose to live in Cairns because if there's a gig in Brisbane, well, that's no deal. Just jump on a plane, yeah, fly down there. Yeah. It's only two hours. Do what I have to do. Come back home and sit on my veranda and enjoy my weather. I was going to say, know, like, it, whilst everybody else down south are freezing, I might be sitting on my veranda, short sleeve shirt. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, we're recording the podcast, and like for people that are just listening to it and not seeing the video, it's like I've got the perfect view of Cairns. <laughs> I can see the ocean. It's just like, yeah, it's not a bad spot to yeah, be. Really. That's, that's my view. I wake up every morning and I get in my motor car. I go down the shop. I get the paper. What the hell? I'm in no, I'm in no rush up here. No, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's what's, that's what's the beauty about Cairns. Cairns is sort of a small country city town. Yeah. We've got things that we need here. You know, if it takes, takes them to be sent up here, all right, fine. Get it sent up. No worries. But um, I've got the freedom to go west and 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 go in the bush and and um, play my music and and think about it and just just be who I am I'm not trying to be a wannabe I'm, I'm just being Dave you know mm. yeah no definitely I, I think it, it it comes across <laughs> like, <laughs> like that for sure you're um so you're gonna start ramping up making your digits again oh well I've got a I've got a shed where I where I've always made made product be it didgeridoos boomerangs artifacts and it's important that I do this because um if I don't do it then some 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 person from overseas is going to make it, and that's mm. that's what's on on everybody's tongue as we speak. It's about fake art, and there's so much fake art out there now. We've got to keep it authentic and, and original. So hence why I'm I've I've got to um, start making product again. And uh, so if anybody wants a real fair income, hundred percent indigenous boomerang, yeah, come and see me. I'll I'll give you a boom or a dig or whatever you want. I'll customize it for you. Yeah, it's um it's definitely. It just there's no way around like it has to be preserved like it's such a cool um, and so unique like when and you it's, see it's, it's important for people that come from overseas if you if I go to America I want to go and buy something something that's authentic you want a cowboy I wanna, hat I want to go a cowboy and, well if I want to buy a cowboy hat I'll, I'll go to Wyoming but if I want to if I want a fair income flute I'll go to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and all the Squamish people up in Seattle, Vancouver. Yeah, that's why I want to buy my my authentic products, not buy a Mickey Mouse cap from Disneyland, Orange County. Um, and that's why when people come to Cairns, they want to buy, or come to Australia, they want to buy something that's fair income, not coming from Indonesia. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, fuck, it's such a good point. Like, you always. You, you always see like so many like fake things that are kind of going around and isn't it funny where it's like it's the same product like say like you look at a Louis Vuitton handbag or something like you're yeah. getting these 
these uh, fake knockoffs. They look exactly the same. Yeah. And there's people that can make Aboriginal art that look exactly the same. But what is it about the feel? Like, you know it's fake. If you know it's fake, it's like, why do we feel like we're getting ripped off when it does look exactly the same? Like, we do crave that authenticity, right? <clears throat> well... I mean, most caps that you see in Cairns, actually, every second shop you see in Cairns that sells boomerangs, I can guarantee you that boomerang's made in China. Yeah. That's why it's important for we as Indigenous people to to establish ourselves as um, keepers of the land. So we, we, we keep it we keep it original, and um, and we keep it authentic. Otherwise, yeah, we will be it, it will be taken over by other other folks and if you want to i guess if you want to talk about um you know people that and i'm talking about maybe people of younger people in the aboriginal community that say that um you know there's no jobs and opportunities and stuff like that like there is a lot of like there is a high demand for art and with the tourism and stuff that comes in here and you know like like i went into a shop i had my friend here from the states and he bought some stuff from the night markets and there was a dude from like germany selling didgeridoo oh, mm. you know where it was it was next to McDonald's in town there that, oh, yeah. that shop it was Universal, a dude, yeah. yeah it was a dude selling didgers from there and he was like a German dude and yeah. he's like trying to teach us how to play the didgeridoo and it, it something felt weird about that like <laughs> you know why wasn't it why wasn't an Aboriginal bloke in there that, that his old man showed him how to play the didgeridoo <laughs> I don't know why oh because it's his shop and um and uh but it just it didn't it didn't feel like it should have felt to buy something like that if that makes sense yeah well i I guess i guess there's there's no opportunities for for shops to be on the esplanade i mean for for someone to have a have a shop like that on the esplanade uh let me tell you the rent will be four thousand bucks a week yeah yeah so who's got four thousand dollars on dead rent yeah so I'd rather make my products from home where it's my my house rent and I can make my products here. Yeah. Do you think that there should be, like, are there any laws around um, non-Indigenous people making Indigenous instruments and things like that? Oh, it's a big, that's what I'm saying. It's a big issue as we speak. But is there, there's no legislation around that? No, it's not. If you want to make a boomerang, you make a boomerang. But, but, but for us as an indigenous person you've got to you've got to make it so it's um so it's uh it, it's it's authentically in line you know what i mean so yeah. on that boomerang it comes with a sticker that says this boomerang was made and created by david dawar hudson uh dave comes from the western yalanji and the urban people of of, of queensland mm-hmm. that's your certificate of authentication but like do you think that it would help the Aboriginal community to actually have some kind of legislation where it it did need to come from an authentic source. It, like, will, it will be that way, definitely. It's 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 in motion as we speak. It is, absolutely. Because I, I mean, I guess you could see like both sides of the coin, but it's like yeah. But why why but should some German person that's be, exactly, be, yeah. be making and selling didgeridoos? I mean, okay, he's got a didgeridoo store. But if he's if he's buying the didgeridoo off Aboriginal people yeah. and giving money back to the back to the cause, not a problem. Yeah. But if he's making didgeridoos himself and getting backpackers to paint the didgeridoos, that's an issue. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely agree it's an issue. I'm just trying to think about like 
what like I'm a I'm a very uh, I try and be very pragmatic like I put I have an issue and then I'm like okay so this is what this issue is which is say the didgeridoo thing but I'm like trying to think of another trying to like circumstance where it's where you could put that same thinking to work and you'd be like oh well that doesn't work so it's you know what I mean I'm trying to have something to like compare it to but I think that it 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 is such a well I think what you'd have to say too is like the consumer is the one that lose out like because you're kind of getting like buying okay buying clogs when you go to you know you want to buy clogs off the dutch like it's their thing it's a it's their national cultural thing and you're buying that so it's like if there's a clog store in in la and they're not dutch people that are selling those clogs then it, again it's like it it, it's almost like it, it rips off the consumer in a way because I mean I know like I'd rather have a didgeridoo made by you than one made by the China it? because what I'm buying the didgeridoo for is like that almost that, that appreciation of the Aboriginal culture the didgeridoo doesn't appear any, anywhere else <laughs> uh, go to Germany go to Italy you'll see there's people over there that make didgeridoos but I'm well, talking it on a cultural level like the didgeridoo is it is an Australian Invention. Oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely an Australian invention. However, it's get it's it's now taken out of control because if you go to Italy, no one wants to even buy authentic didgeridoos made by Aboriginal people. Yeah. Why? Because they can they can get a tree, split the branch in the middle, clean the inside out, and then glue it back together. Yeah, they're not even making it out of so, hollow. So that's what you call a didgeridoo. Yeah. Um, that's what happens in in uh, Germany. People make didgeridoos that are made of fiberglass, resin. Yeah. Um, they're making out of hemp. So there you go. The, these are all don'ts, you know, didgeridoo don'ts that are that people are now making in the rest of the world. Are they being are they being fair dinkum to the to the indigenous cause? Absolutely no. No, they're not at all. No, they're not. Um, you know, I, I travel these countries and I do concerts. It's it's a waste of time taking my authentic didgeridoos to try and sell them because. They're not interested in my didgeridoos any any longer or any further, because why? Why would they want to buy a dig my dig for five hundred dollars, for example, when they could buy one that's for two hundred dollars, and they could buy it there? And you know what I mean? They, it's it's it gets to the point where you know they they need to get their 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 priorities right. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to promote the support the Aboriginal cause, or do you want to support the German cause? Yeah, and that's that's where I, like it definitely, and even as a consumer, like it's got to be weird buying, because like I'm saying, is that the didgeridoo is so uniquely Australian, it's so uniquely Aboriginal yep. that you're to buy it. The reason you would want to buy a didgeridoo is to pr- appreciate that Aboriginal culture and that Aboriginal instrument, and then it's Absolute. like, when, but then to buy a fake, it's like defeats the purpose of buying. <laughs> a didgeridoo to start with because that has nothing to do with the Aboriginal culture and then again yeah, I mean but on, on the same token though if you are a if you are a realist and, and you want to keep it true to who you are then you will buy a yeah. real didgeridoo that's been naturally eaten out by termites it's made from a eucalyptus tree that that comes from the west of Cairns blah 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 yeah how long does it take you to make one of your didges well, the inside's eaten out naturally by termites, so realistically it's the termites that, that play an important role here. So they are the true labourers of the instrument. They, um, they, if, they, if they've already cleaned the inside out for you and they've eaten it out, that's half your battle. So, so, so all you've got to do is bark it, skin it, any cracks or holes, you plug it up. So, um, so realistically, 
once you cut a didgeridoo, you, you skin it, you've now got to let that didge sit or you put it into a humidifier yep. so you suck the moisture out of the timber. If you had to take a, a digit I cut yesterday and take it, take it back to America, um, back to New York, it may crack because yeah. it's still full of sap. Yeah, so that that there's like a curing process that goes. There's along a curing with it. process. Yeah. You got to you got to take the moisture out of the wood. You may want to seal it so so that prevents any any further cracks or damages to the wood. Um, taking the mo- taking the moisture out of the wood will also you know it'll make it a lot lighter as well. But um, if you had to uh, make a didgeridoo, in, depends on the tools you're using. It's, you know, if you just if you got if you got circular saws and and all that sort of stuff, well, you can make a digit an hour easy. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're making it back traditionally, well, you're you're using traditional tools that that are the modern, uh, ancient tools of what we 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 use these days, you know. And um, yeah, it'll it'll be what might take a week, depending on the tools you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess. We'll get close to wrapping it up. It's almost been two hours. Yeah, um, I gotta go. Yeah, you gotta get out of here. Where can we go from here? What are we? Oh, what, look, are, what are we? What are we gonna do to, to spread some uh, some good vibes and? Oh no! From here, we we have gotta just prove that we. Um, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, red, white, black, or brindle. We are all human beings, and we're all we're all part of one race, and that race is the human race. Um, you know, and, and you're no better than I, and I'm no better than you. So um, at the end of the day, we all bleed red. You know, we're all we're all humans, and it just annoys me that there there are people out there that just think that they that they've been given some right that they're superior to you and I. And do you think then? And I, I 100% agree with everything that you said. And we are the same, and we all bleed red. But do you think there's value in celebrating our differences as well? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm better than you. I mean, you know, and I don't, I don't mean that in like a who's better or worse, but I'm, I mean, there's, there's things that naturally that you can do on an individual level that are better than me, and I, you know, Probably, what I mean, yeah. like, and there's, you know, your musical talent, for instance, I don't have that, so it's like I think that, yeah, but know, yeah, but don't hold that against me though. No, that's what I'm saying. That's Should we saying. celebrate those differences? You've got to, you've got to, you've got to support me in yep. that sort of stuff. You're, you're um, the son of my, my a buddy that I raced motorbikes with. Yeah. So if I can encourage you to be a, um, uh, the the person you are, um, then I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to do what you do and support you and help spread your word with your podcasting and. Uh, tell Glenn you know, Jacobs that we had a good yarn and da 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 and um, if I can help you and fantastic if you can help me well that's what makes the world go around yeah and that's I guess that's really what I was trying to get at is I think for me it's like we need to we need to send this message that we're no better or worse than each other but we are different and that's worth celebrating just as much as, as everything else because we've all got we've all got a unique thing to give we've all got a you you've got a unique voice and your platform with the way that you know you can touch and inspire people and then this is my platform and you know yeah. what I mean? and it's like we i think that you know we all have to go we're we're the same but we're different and that's the the beauty yeah, of it. Yeah, look, Glenn, and if, if Glenn Jacobs can travel the world designing bike trails, that's that's his... Um, that's his gift. That's his gift yep. and good on him. I'm yep. not going to knock him for that at all. Yep. Uh, you know, same as uh, Noel Pearson. If Noel Pearson can can be a voice for Indigenous Australians, that's Noel's, that's, that's Noel because he's, a, he's, a, he's more of a... a, a, a 
a political activist. Yeah. Great for him. What Ernie Dingo? Ernie Dingo is a comedian. He's done television. Fantastic. That's that's his medium. My genre, my music is uh, my way of promoting myself and um, um, you know, if spreading I can be, your spreading message. my spreading my message. And uh, if I want to be known as the global messenger, well, fine. Yep. That's my way. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, no, I just I think it's important that to yeah tell people that you know we are all one but we're worth celebrating our own strengths as yeah, well absolutely that, like that crab in the bucket thing that you said you know we don't we can't be pulling each other into the no. into the bucket we've lost two shorts you know life's too short i mean uh we, we we've got to we've got to we've got to move forward and realistically the the only hand that's going to help you is attached to your elbow yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> right, I will end on that one, mate. Hey, appreciate awesome. it. Yeah. Cheers. No, it was good fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, absolutely. Fantastic. And good luck with it all. Sweet as, brother. Cheers, you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs>